I think the thing that was the most heartbreaking about that experience, which which drove the the creation behind Sparta, was that you know I was doing all the things in rehab and prevention to avoid those injuries, but they kept happening, and there wasn't really like I just wanted like a, a how-to, a health for dummies almost you know playbook I could run to be like okay you want to play here are the things you got to do to be healthy and I thought I was doing that and I think the most heartbreaking piece for me is that the effort and the commitment to stay healthy was there and it was being done and it made no difference this is Dr. Phil Wagner I'm the CEO and founder of Sparta Science I'm both a physician as well as a strength coach most importantly a, a former athlete so, you know, have a great empathy for these folks who are trying to help. And you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports, health, and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life, but you can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week, I have Dr. Phil Wagner on the show, who is the CEO and founder of Sparta Science. Uh, He's also a physician and strength coach whose own athletic career as a football and rugby player was cut short by a series of avoidable training injuries. And, you know, like a lot of the guests on this show, we all have a a mission to kind of prevent the suffering of others. And that's definitely what uh, Dr. Phil Wagner is doing on the show today. You said I could call you Phil, so I'll, I'll say Phil for the rest of the show. So, Thanks for coming on. And I don't know if you want to start us off by saying, you know, like what Sparta Science is and kind of what inspired the creation of that technology that you created. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. I'm excited to be on the show. You know, yeah, I think similar to you and starting this podcast, like the, the injuries I suffered as an athlete really was the genesis behind, you know, starting Sparta. And, uh, you know, I, I, Summer to you was was involved in in football. Probably most folks that see a lot of traumatic injuries. That's uh, at least in sports. That's where they tend to you know be the root of. And I think the thing that was the most heartbreaking about that experience, which which drove the the creation behind Sparta, was that you know I was doing all the things in rehab and prevention to avoid those injuries, but they kept happening. And there wasn't really like. I just wanted like a a how-to, a health for dummies, almost, you know, playbook I could run to like, okay, you want to play? Here are the things you got to do to be healthy. And I thought I was doing that. And I think the most heartbreaking piece for me is that the effort and the commitment to stay healthy was there and it was being done and it made no difference. And so I think for all of us, that feeling of helplessness is just gutting. No, I mean, that resonates with me completely. Like even today as I'm 31 years old, I'm like every week I have like a new pain in my shoulder, in my knee, in my hip, in my back. Exactly. I work out and I, the way that I train is to so I don't feel this way. So I could definitely resonate with uh, with your mission as well. Can you take us through some of the injuries and stuff that you that you went through as an athlete? Just because I know a lot of the people listening could probably relate you know, to those. Yeah, I think in, you know, kind of began, I guess, in, in high school football with at that time, right? You know, I'm, I'm 40, like at that time, concussions were getting your bell rung. And so they were a little bit more dismissive than they are today. And so there were a few concussions early on. But I think the big thing that started to happen was more on the joint and musculoskeletal side. 
you know, I'll never forget my first my first game as a starting in college. You know, I played safety and I and I was so excited to get involved on the first play of my first game in college. A tackle was made and play was almost done, but I felt the need to make sure that I could contribute. So flew into the pile at full speed and dislocated my shoulder. And, you know, I literally lasted one play of the first game. And, and you know, that really kind of set off a, a series of shoulder injuries that and surgeries that continued to happen. And then hamstrings and ankles and knee injuries started to accumulate as well. But, you know, the, the shocking piece was, you know, the advice that I was given, the, the assessments that were done, those were followed like to the letter. And all that happened was, you know, these issues just kept recurring, which was just shocking to me when you think about all the knowledge that physical therapists and doctors have. How could they be giving me this advice that I'm following and it's still not having a positive outcome? Right. Yeah. It's definitely frustrating. And I know a lot of athletes can resonate with that, you know, same exact thing. And I know I've had countless knee issues. I've been, feel like I've been in physical therapy for the last five years of my life, just trying to figure out this knee thing I got going, but you're right. Like it seems like there's no perfect map always, but maybe there should be. And athletes I think are unique, you know, because when I trained as a physician, you know, the hardest part for me as a physician was seeing patients that were suffering from something yet also weren't doing the things preventatively to get better. But athletes are very different, right? In that, you know, you tell an athlete or a soldier like, hey, you want to do this? Here's what you got to do. They'll do it. You know, and usually actually end up having to hold them back. But that's a big difference between patients and athletes. And I think that's really kind of the mission behind Sparta is if there's a mental desire or a will to be on a team, there shouldn't be any physical limitations to do that. No, that you hit the nail on the head for sure. Like people, you, you get to work with people who want to get better. I work in healthcare now and like, that's definitely not the case always. It's hard, yeah. right? I mean, I'll, I'll never forget the day I decided to leave medicine. I went in to see a patient who had very high blood pressure, 180 over 120. And I said, okay, so your blood pressure hasn't changed. Are you still smoking? Yeah, three packs a day. How about alcohol? Yeah, you know, I have probably about a 12 pack a night. It's like, well, like I can't do anything, right? Like, but I think athletes and a lot of folks that are active, they just want information on how can I be moving without pain or how can I be performing in my life or sport at a higher level? Can you talk, get dive a little bit deeper into when you decide that you want to become a doctor? Like, were your aspirations from the beginning, like stemming from the injuries that you suffered and kind of those questions as to, like, you know, why do I keep getting these recurring things that keep coming up? Like, and I know when I was doing my research, you consider yourself like a movement doctor. So, did you go into medical school being like, I want to be a movement doctor? Or was it more instances like the patient interaction that you just described that's like, yeah, like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, it's not as, not the rewarding interactions I was looking for. Yeah. No, it's a good question. <clears throat> yeah. When I went into medicine, I think the main goal was like, you know, I had all these injuries, had to retire, and thought, what I really need is I need to pursue what I felt was the most intensive education of the human body. And I said, where can I really? you know, pursue that. And that's where I landed on medical school. I said, okay, I don't know what exactly I want to do, but I, I know that I love 
learning about the human body. So went to medical school with this idea that, you know, I was going to learn about the human body and then apply that to the masses. But towards the end of medical school and starting to practice, then encountered something I'd never seen, which was people that weren't willing to sacrifice to get better. Right. And that's when I started to think, you know what, I got to actually get out of medicine and get back to these areas, whether that's sport or the military, where people will, for right or wrong, do whatever it takes to get better. And so how can I apply the medical model of gathering evidence and creating these protocols like they do for other things like diabetes, et cetera? How can you take those type of protocols and apply it to preventing injuries like others do for preventing chronic disease? Yeah, and I think you're ahead of the curve in in that sense as well, because from what I hear, like a lot of the strength coaches, like in the NFL and MLB and professional sports, like they're going away from your you know four year degree in the CSCS, and now they're all like PhD, you know, exercise you know physiologists that are kind of running these programs. But that's kind of, I mean, to me, you're you're ahead of the game in in that sense. So can we kind of get into an explanation of, you know, what Sparta science is and the force plate and how it works? And even maybe did you enjoy learning the tech part of it as much as you enjoyed learning about the human body? And I bring that up because as athletes who transform their lives after sports, I'm a big proponent for just diving into things that you don't know or you suck at and figuring it out because that's that's fun. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for, for athletes. I know we talked briefly about, you know, how important it is to help folks transition. But that athlete mentality is so useful, right? To your point, like just diving in without fear, even if you don't know it, trusting that you're just going to figure it out, right? We'll just dive into this and figure it out. So Sparta kind of centered around, okay, most injuries are happening because of some sort of movement dysfunction. And these movement dysfunctions really are from the ground up, unless you're a water polo player. Most individuals have issues from the ground up. Like we even published a paper showing that Tommy John, you know, injuries, elbow injuries and baseball players can be predicted from a jump because at the end of the day, everything you do starts with the ground. You can do all the rotator cuff exercises in the world to help your arm. But if you're not using your legs to throw a ball, you know, it's not going to work out well. You're going to have to generate that energy from your upper body. And no matter how strong your upper body is, it will never be bigger or stronger than your lower body. Right. And something's got to give at some point. Something's got to give, right? And so let's load these weight-bearing joints like your hips, your knees, your ankles. So it really started with this device called a force plate. And that's where it started. But to your question of like diving in and learning about technology, yeah, I actually have enjoyed that more than learning about the body because it's so new and wide open fields, right? And that you've got you know, all this data that's available. And I think most importantly, you can also transfer that information to the individual themselves so they can better understand and educate. Because I think the goal is, right, we all know our own bodies better than any doctor, any therapist ever will. And so how can we take that knowledge we have of our own bodies and augment those individuals with their own data to keep that learning process advancing. It's like the data is like the communication mechanism. Without that, it's just like subjective. You know, you're, you're just listening to someone like, yeah, I guess, <laughs> you know. Yeah, 
Yeah, we kind of talk almost of it like being like an owl on your shoulder. You know, like the data should be like this guide, a Sherpa, if you will, that it's not going to do the work for you, right? You still got to climb Everest, but it is a guide to help make sure that you can get there safely and more expeditiously. So did you start like working with force plates or like you got introduced to a force plate and then the idea kind of evolved? Like I'm, I'm almost curious from like an entrepreneurial standpoint, like what was like the business kind of idea of, you know, and had that, had that transform? Yeah, the force plate, I mean, it made total sense to me that how you push in the ground, whether it's a sprint, a jump, change in direction, that dictates how efficient and powerful a movement is. And so looking at it, as in simultaneously, as I was coaching folks, we started to notice these patterns and it goes beyond just like, who's the most powerful, right? Because it's very easy to look at a football player and be like, yeah, I mean, they produce a lot of force. But baseball was really interesting to me. And I don't have a baseball background because you could walk by a baseball player and never know it, right? Because they're tall, short, fat, skinny. But what makes baseball so different is the way they time movement, the way they time force production is so unique. And so it really kind of opened my eyes of like, okay, movement isn't like probably both of our backgrounds, which is like, how much you bench, right? How much you squat, the football mentality. But baseball has this grace of like, when do you produce force? Because it's like, should be like a tidal wave that builds and snaps at the right instant. Right, the sequence, yeah. The sequence. You totally. watch a pitcher throw, yeah, exactly. It's, it's pretty yeah. crazy. It's literally like a whip almost. <laughs> yeah, right? And they're yeah. not necessarily always big or tall or short. or they're, they're all different, but it's that timing that they all share. Yeah, no, super interesting. And I just had the thought, I'm like, people who are listening to this might be hearing about a force plate for the first time. Like, uh, just if we can describe like what a force plate is, and then we can maybe move on from there. Yeah, force plate's like a, a high-powered bathroom scale and that it measures pressure into the ground, but not just vertically like a weight scale does, but in different directions, you know, left, right, heel, toe, and it measures it, that sequence, because it measures, you know, thousands of data points a second. So if you do, let's say, a jump, it measures how that force over time of the jump is actually created. And I think we oftentimes refer to the force plate as a dumb device, because the real power is actually the technology and the machine learning that can consume all that data and then parse through different information. Like I used that elbow injury example. We didn't go in looking at, hey, let's try to find out how to figure out and predict elbow injury from a jump. We actually, machine learning came back and said, hey, people that are at risk for elbows that have elbow injuries, they have this force profile. And we're like, wow, that, that's unexpected. Well, I guess it makes sense. If you don't throw with your legs, right? You got to throw with your arm. Yeah, no, that was a, a great explanation. And basically what you're saying is like there's artificial intelligence, like the more tests that you do on, on these uh, Sparta science force plates, the more accurate that you're able to predict these injuries. Yeah, totally. Because then with machine learning, you can start splicing some of those up, right? With other factors like, okay, what about baseball players versus football or 30-year-old versus 20-year-old or hamstring versus elbow and 
the more information is in the system, the greater the accuracy, because the more separate you can make different predictions from different people. It really is amazing to think about you know where technology has come. Um, you got Whoop out there. You got Sparta Science. There's all sorts of different ways that people can kind of you know get more of this data. So in your tests that you run on the force plate, you do a balance test, a plank test, and a jump test. So why did you choose those movements? It's just because they they work with the plate, or you know what? Why? Yeah, we looked at a bunch of different movements. We looked at sprinting, agility even landing. And what we found is that those three movements that we look at, a jump, a balance, and plank, they're the least skilled. And so they isolate your physiological biomechanical abilities rather than your learning abilities. The good contrast here is like the NFL combine. Did somebody run a good 40 time because they're fast or because they have great, they have a great start technique? right? And they line up in the three-point just the right way. And they come out of the gates with the right five to seven first steps. So are they good at sprinting or are they fast? Because they're not the same things. And so we looked at all these other tests, but, you know, it's the more primal generic tests that tended to, you know, focus just on the physical capability. Because where that can get tricky is if you tested today on sprint on a force plate, and then you test it again two weeks later. Did you get better because you got better at your sprint mechanics? Or did you get better because you're producing more force? So it's hard to separate those two out. Right. No, and I'm glad I asked that question because I would have never guessed that that was the reason why you chose those was the skill aspect of it. But it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. We started big and then narrowed down. Yeah. Okay. No, it's, that's really impressive. And I guess those movements, they kind of translate across like any sport as well. Yeah, they do. And that's the value of data, right? Because the tests are really just a medium to collect a lot of different variables. Because, you know, if we use back to the football baseball analogy, if we look at initial force generation, very important for an offensive lineman. If you don't produce force initially, you're screwed, right? And more importantly, your quarterback is screwed. Like if you're not able to generate force initially. At the same time, think about a wide receiver. His best attribute has to be to prolong force production, you know, to be able to run fast and have long stride lengths. And so it's actually the variables. The test is just the means to get different variables that you can apply to different injuries, different positions, different goals. And in each of those movements, the balance, the plank and the jump, are you just looking for changes in force production or is there other things that are being measured like you're swaying to the left, you're swaying to the right. Like, I- Oh, great question. Yeah. So that is, yeah, the, the forces are, are part of it, but then, yeah, we look at center of pressure changes and in balance in particular, the term is what you use, which is sway. You know, how much are you swaying? Most importantly, we start talking about like head trauma. It's also how well do you correct? Because what happens when you have head trauma is you lose your ability to correct finely. Right. You think about a sports car versus like something that's not as um, high performance in an automobile. It's so sports cars, you touch that steering wheel just a little bit, it'll move. Right. So that ability to correct is really important and really difficult to measure without a highly scientific instrument. And so the force plate measures on balance, 
how well you sway, but also how finely you can correct to get back to center. Right. The responsiveness of your, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you use responsiveness and the term in, in biomechanics is movement variability. So it's like heart rate variability. You mentioned what, right? So heart rate variability is your responsiveness parasympathetically to external stimuli. Movement variability, same idea. How well do you respond to stimuli? Because if you balance, you don't want to be a two by four, but you also don't want to be a noodle either. You want to be in between, right? So you can respond, but not totally collapse. Yeah, that's really cool. The movement variability part. Have they done studies on like recovery and stuff like that with movement variability? And have they found similar things? Or I guess we should explain too that heart rate variability, high heart rate variability means that you are more recovered than not, correct? Correct. Low heart rate variability means that you're overtrained potentially. Yeah. And that's confusing, right? Because with heart rate, it's like lower is better, like lower resting heart rate is better. But to your point, a lower heart rate variability is not better. You're not recovered. Yeah. It took me a while to like get that through my thick skull, but yeah. <laughs> well, it's counterintuitive because it is heart rate, right? It's, so it's tough to grasp that, but movement variability is the same way in that a higher movement variability means you basically have a larger responsiveness or a bigger movement portfolio, if you will. Okay. Like more options? Yeah, more options, right? Like if I have a low movement variability, I can do one thing really well. But what you want is the ability to, that means if I'm a wide receiver, I can run a go route and that's it. If that's all I can do, I have no use to a team, right? So you want to be able to expand that. Prevent defense. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to be able to run all these different routes. But what's interesting is when you have a, a concussion, that's the, the variable that takes the longest to recover, that movement variability. Now, what's also interesting is as we age, we lose movement variability over time. So that's basically we're dying. So how do you maintain that? Oh, you put it that way. I was just about to say, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how I feel right now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, well, hopefully, I mean, we can't stop the aging process. We just want to slow it. Right? No, I know. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the hope at least. Yeah. Right. So I remember the question that I meant to ask before, but it still is relatable. So when you do the, the test on the force plates with Sparta Science, do you have to follow these athletes afterwards to kind of see like, oh, they came up with a shoulder injury. They came up with an ankle sprain or whatever. So it, it's like an ongoing thing. Yeah. The body is constantly changing, right? And so, you know, a lot of times we have to avoid that assumption that, well, you just do a physical once a year or you just do a test once a year. The individual should use it like a vital sign, you know, just like resting heart rate of like, okay, how am I doing today or how am I doing this month relative to last month? And what stimulus, good or bad, you know, can be associated with that change? You know, is my shoulder sore? Am I squatting more? Am I squatting less? Am I running more, running less? And I think that goes back to the piece we hit on earlier, which is we want to help the individual connect the dots of their habits to their movement, what we call signature, their movement signature changes. There's a prescription aspect to Sparta Science as well, right? Yeah, and that's the other machine learning aspect too. We look at exercise prescriptions like pharmacology, right? Because I think a lot of folks say, okay, just go squat or just go run. That'd be like saying, okay, you're sick. Just go take an antibiotic. Which one? How often? How much? Right? So I think we've got to look at exercise the same way. 
you know, because what we found, for example, if we use squatting, lower reps have a completely different effect than higher reps on force production. And neither way is bad. They're just different, right? There's all these debates over full range of motion versus quarter squats or front squat versus back squat. Knees over toes guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Low bar, high bar. Like, but the, the real answer is like, they all have different effects, just like medicine. And so how can we identify which type of medicine you need in the form of exercise? Right. Which is, like I said earlier with the, the CSCS four-year degree, not that there's anything wrong with those guys. They, they have a, we- a wealth of knowledge, but I'm more getting at like not all personal trainers or whatever are created equal. So to have, you know, almost like a medical prescription coming out of, you know, your uh, product is, I think, pretty incredible. And what people are looking for today too. Like when you talk about Pelotons of the world and all the other fitness companies that are popping up, it's because people want to be told what to do. They're always kind of floundering. And, you know, for elite level athletes, you probably need a little bit more than just opening up a, a Peloton app and doing a stretch, you know? So yeah, as soon as you kind of get that ball rolling of of doing some sort of activity, how can you make it more individualized over time, right? And hopefully any sort of machine learning models just get smarter. And I think, therefore, you can spend less time doing things that may not be helpful because you'd be like, hey, you don't need this anymore. Just focus on this. Yeah. And time is of the essence for uh, athletes as well. Yeah. That's the biggest barrier for all of us is time. How much time do you have in the day? Oh, for sure. Wish I had more time to do podcasts. That's for sure. (laughs) So I'm going to ask it anyway. It might be a dumb question, but we've talked obviously a lot about movement and Sparta Science is all based off of movement. We talked about movement variability. You chose to go down this movement path. I guess why? What makes you think that movement is so important more so than possibly a heart rate variability or does it just coincide? It's just another thing. Or is it in your opinion like the number one indicator of like injuries? I think that movement is the number one indicator of how we live and is the most holistic measurement of the quality of our life. And that can range from a grandmother being able to chase around her grandkids to, you know, a high school player wanting to make his JV team. And those experiences are so powerful and such a big part of our quality of life and the memories that are created. I know you played football, not sure, but I know for me, so many of my high school memories are based on playing on my high school football team. Me too, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so many of my friends are my strongest friends to this day are still from that high school football team. And what a great thing to be able to offer people the opportunity to do that, you know, without putting themselves at risk. I think in a bigger picture, movement also is either the direct cause or result of every disease we have. If we stop moving because of pain, right? all of a sudden cardiovascular injuries start coming up or obesity, right? Or depression, right? I mean, we talk about veterans and and other areas, like a lot of that is because injuries have happened. And so they stop moving, depression sets in, opioid crisis. It's so threaded into the fabric of our lives. No, that's a great explanation, man. I couldn't agree more. I talked to this like functional medicine doctor a few years ago, just because it was like offered at work. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And um, he said this thing, he like had this chart of like your movement kind of essentially like of life and how you basically want to like improve your 
performance over time eventually like you'll plateau but you don't want to be like a slow decline to like you know to, to nothing you pretty much just want to be like plateau and then like just drop dead at some point because yeah the quality of life is like it just becomes less and less yeah i mean and even i mean i just kind of just sidebar like i just read this morning something on dick van dyke and he's like 95 you know how is dick van dyke still alive and doing so well and so much of his life was based on dancing and movement you know and so how can we really even just beyond sports continue to support this culture of movement so people can live a longer healthier life yeah i think that's it's a great message to hear so i in a lot of my research i noticed you or sparta science talking a lot about muscle overload can you explain that and you know and are athletes like always blind to this muscle overload or like does it manifest or i even had the thought too when i was preparing for this interview i'm like is a manifestation like an injury so like i don't know can you just explain my muscle overload yeah i think you know the probably the biggest one of the bigger values of of any data is just creating that awareness and when it comes to muscle and movement overload most of us are going to gravitate towards what we're good at right and a good example is you know offensive linemen in a game They'll squat, what, 200 times a game every time they get in their stand, three-point stance. And so they've trained those anterior muscles, the quads, and the movement pack pattern of squatting to a very high degree. Then they go into the weight room when the game's over. What do they do? They squat, right? And so further enhances the quads and the squatting pattern. What we've found is that pattern also causes if it's overloaded, ACLs and foot injuries, which are the number one injuries we see in offensive linemen. So, you know, what we need to do is be using data to say, okay, I'm sufficiently good at this pattern and I may like it, but then I have to choose, do I want to do something I really like in training or do I want to make sure that I'm doing the things in training that allows me to be active in the things I want to do? And that's the crux of it all. I mean, I remember we worked, we worked quite a bit in professional rugby overseas. And one of the top players in the world had had chronic hamstring injuries for three years. And he had this problem where he produced force very well initially, what we call load, but he loved to squat, which only made that initial load force higher, put him at risk for hamstring injuries. So he got switched over to split squat to emphasize more hamstrings and glutes. And he split squatted every week for about a year. And I went down to go back, visit this team. And he said, man, Phil, do I really have to squat? I am, or split squat still? I am so bored. I said, when was the last time you had a hamstring injury? He said, well, I haven't had one for a year. You know, I've been totally fine. I just want to start squatting again. And I said, I am sorry. I'm not sorry. And walked away, you know, because it's boring and you're doing the same stuff and it's working. Tough shit. Right. Like, exactly. You know, great. Right. So training isn't about entertainment. It's really about doing the things that allow you to be healthy in the areas that you want to do. Yeah, for sure. That reminds me, I did an interview with a guy named David Vibora a few years back. And he was talking, NFL linebacker, and he was talking about how he used to just like crush weights, like in the like heavy squats, heavy deadlifts, heavy this, heavy that. And he's like, I kind of just like didn't feel athletic anymore. And then he kind of backed away from all those heavy weights and did a lot of plyometric stuff and jumping and like 
no weights almost. And he's like, I was faster. I was stronger. I was like all these things. So yeah, it's not always what you're good at, you know, that's going to make you better. And I think sometimes we attribute what we're doing to the success we've had, right? He might've attributed, Hey, I got to this level because I squatted heavy deadlift. But the reality is he may have gotten to that level in spite of doing those things. Yeah. And I was even had the thought too, like you might even have so much force production that you create an injury because it's like more than your body can handle, right? That is absolutely correct. Yeah. If if you don't have a, a back to your comment about sequence, if you don't have the right sequence and you're reinforcing an imbalanced sequence, you're actually creating your own injury, which I think to my personal history was definitely the case. You know, I was a great squatter. You know, I could at any given day squat 400 pounds very easily. But the problem is like I could split squat, you know, 40 pounds. That's the problem. Until they change safety's stats in football to include squat weight, like <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, they you got the boards up in the high school weight room right, trying to yeah. get up there, bench squat the board, the t-shirt, yeah. right? Yeah, like exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. So how are you know teams using Sparta Science? And I know it's used in the NFL combine as well. So like how are teams kind of basing decisions off of the information that they're getting from your product? Yeah, I think, you know, organizations use Sparta to identify individual needs, you know, what exercises should they be doing, and also use it, you know, as a way to identify thresholds in sport. How much is too much for individuals? Like back to baseball, there's this 100 pitch or 80 pitch kind of danger zone, right? But the reality is for some players, it might be 70 pitches. For others, it might be 120. But the reality is we don't know, and it's certainly not the same for everybody. And so how do we identify what sort of beyond exercise prescription, what game stresses are ideal for individuals? The other piece is you cannot eliminate injuries. They're going to happen. And so if individuals are injured, how do we make sure that the rehab process is guided by data to be both safe and expeditious? So we don't bring somebody back too early, but we also don't take too long to bring them back too late. Does that require like a baseline though? You know, I think the baseline, that's the value of machine learning is if for you, you're, let's say if you're a linebacker and you say, well, I don't have a baseline for me yet. My response would be like, well, that will help. But we've also got 15,000 other linebackers in the system. So you can at least leverage their baseline from day one to actually have context. Now, it'll be helpful to have your information in there, certainly, but at the very least, you can leverage all the others like you to get a good jumping off point from day one. I was thinking with the, back to the NFL combine part, like, all right, we got Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick. He hops on the the sport of science force plate and a red flag comes up. How bad does it have to be that they would be like, eh, maybe we won't take him. Yeah, so there's two parts to that. I think in Trevor's case, Clemson is a strong client partner of Sparta's. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so we've got, you know, Trevor's been using it throughout his college career. So I think, the, you know, there's a nice longitudinal trend that we hope as more pro teams adopted and more colleges, every individual has this nice history of how their movements changed over time. I think the second part of that is, yeah, how do you make decisions off it? which becomes an issue at the pro level because then unions are like, well, I don't know if we should let our guys jump on it because teams are going to 
cut a guy or trade a guy because he has a bad force plate scan. The way I've addressed that with union chiefs is that, you know, at least if we use baseball as an example, if you hit 350, no one cares about your force plate scan. No one cares. You're hitting 350. No one's going to trade you if you hit 350. So it's an augmentation, but isn't the end-all be-all. So what we've seen in the NFL draft with a lot of teams is they use the SPART information from the combine as a tiebreaker. So if they're deciding between two players and they don't really know which one they want to pick based on scouting, SPART a lot of times is used to help break that tiebreaker. And the way it's used would surprise you. They actually choose the one with the worst Sparta scan, not the better one. Because if you've got two players that are the same and one of those has a worse movement profile, a worse signature, a worse Sparta scan, you got more upside. I'm learning so much on this podcast. This is great, man. (laughs) That's what shocked me is I was explained to that by one of our NFL teams that said, yeah, we prefer taking the the one who actually moves worse. I said, what? They said, yeah, because then we can change it. And he's got more of a potential to be even better. That's, that's or crazy. the other guy might already be tapped out. Right. I said, oh, interesting. That's really cool. I know there's a bunch of uh, case studies on your website that I look through, but do any stick out to you that you want to share? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, you know, we get asked on case studies like, or on individuals, like who's the best athlete, right? You know, we've worked for the Cavs for years. So you can imagine when I use the Cavaliers, who I might be referring to, right? Yeah, you exactly. Know, <laughs> he's not with the Cavs anymore, right? He's kind of a big name. So people expect me to say that. Or, you know, we worked with the Falcons. So they want to know, well, is it that wide receiver that's playing for the Falcons who's kind of a beast, right? So they, they expect this one person. My response generally is, what's your favorite painting? Because there, there is no, this is the best athlete or this is the best painting. They're all so different. And I think we've got to appreciate it in a way like art, right? And that they're all different and beautiful in a unique way. So I don't necessarily have like a favorite case study or a favorite athlete signature. I think they're all different. I think, you know, my favorite ones are the ones where individuals are able to reverse a downward trend where they're not able to play anymore or rule it out, but then reinvent themselves. Probably my favorite of all time is the center fielder for the Mariners, Mitch Hanniger. So Mitch worked his way up into the uh, Brewers major league team. Right when he got up there, they traded him to the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks ownership was GM was changed right when he got traded. So they said, we don't like this Hanager kid. So he went from shoots and ladders, major league ball, all the way down to the bottom of the minors, single A, all the way down to the bottom and had to work his way back up and take advantage of understanding the data himself and worked his way back up, got traded again to the Mariners, but eventually became an all-star, you know, Major League Baseball all-star center fielder because he took the information into his own hands and said, okay, these teams are moving me around team to team, level to level. The only thing I can depend on is me. So I need to understand this information, take control of my plan, my program, my rehab. And so I think that's, that's my favorite case study because he took it upon himself to empower himself with this information to move better and accomplish his goals. Yeah, that is a great story. Where can someone listening to this contact you or find you online or you know, follow what Sparta Science is up to? 
Yeah. So, you know, our website, Sparta Science, and we've got a blog on there where we talk about some of these case studies and, and some of these principles behind movement. But also, I've got a Twitter handle, Dr. Phil Wagner, where we're putting out, you know, a lot of the information from a thought leadership standpoint of here's why movement's important. Here are some concepts to think about. And here are some case studies to better understand some of these complex principles. Okay. Yeah. I'll link those up in the, in the show notes for this episode. And I always end each of my podcasts with the same question, which is what's your definition of toughness? Yeah. To me, the toughness is the ability to, to rebound from a setback, which certainly is always a mental component, but a lot of times, you know, an athletes is a physical component as well. So how well you can respond to that unanticipated setback. You know, that's, that's the definition of toughness in my mind. Great. Phil, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I don't know if I've ever learned so much in one podcast episode in my life, but it was super interesting. Um, I'm really glad that we, we got connected to do this show. So thank you so much uh, for, for sharing your knowledge and for creating such a, an amazing product to help athletes. And I guess actually, is, is there any way for like a, a non-pro or non-college athlete to access uh, a Sparta science? Like other facilities uh, around that they could utilize this stuff? Yeah, we're working our way there. And so, yeah, we're starting to work more and more with private fitness facilities and, and physical therapy clinics. So it really, at this point, depends on the region where the person's at. But if you just reach out to us, if anybody reaches out to us and say, hey, I'm in this area, is there any place nearby? We can likely connect you with somebody. So probably the best way or the fastest way is just info at spartascience.com. So if anybody shoots us an email, we can respond like, hey, oh, you're in the LA area. Here are some places that have the system or anywhere from LA to Baton Rouge to Columbus, Ohio, Clemson, South Carolina. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, no, that's that's awesome that there's, there's access out there for everyone. But again... Thank you so much. I, I had a lot of fun uh, doing this episode. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin.